Take your Bible, if you would, and join me this evening in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter number 5. I've shared this before, so I won't uh, belabor it, but it was several years ago when I called my dad and I asked him for some advice, and he told me to do what I have told you before. He said, Jeffrey, take out your wallet, and I did. He said, get your driver's license, and I did. And he said, do you have it in your hand? And I said, I do. And he said, what does it say regarding your birthday? And I looked down and I said, it says I was born on, and, and I said the date. And he said, well, Jeffrey, that means that you are old enough to make that decision yourself. It was good advice from my dad. My dad certainly was not, um, he was not averse to offering advice. And I even said to him then, I said, Dad, I know that. I said, but I just want to know what your thoughts are. And he said, well, you're going to have to figure that one out on your own. So if you thought about it, was my dad being unkind? Was he trying to be in some way, shape, or form, uh, you know, I don't know, just this little jab at his son? Or was my dad more concerned about something at my age and stage of life as a young man that he wanted me to take some necessary independent steps forward. And I think certainly the ill intent idea is absent and the desire for me to take some important age appropriate steps was present. Uh, today I mentioned that, that Julie and I had a meal with a group of people that serve in areas of hospitality at Campus Church. And um, specifically, we sat across from um, uh, a couple with their new child, Isaac and Anna Pora, and their, their little baby, Sophia. And we're, you know, Sophia would just stare at me. It was really, I, I, like, I like to get some response from, from babies. And, and so I'm making faces, doing all the stuff. And she just kind of stared at me like, why are you doing that, you know? And then she would, she would, when we're just having conversations, she would start to giggle and talk and play. And then I'd look at her and I was like, well, right straight back to why are you looking at me? Now, we made some progress through the course of the meal. So she started to respond and, and we're interacting. And then Julie asks the question. Um, she said to Anna, well, what's her favorite food? And um, she responded with, Milk, okay, milk is, is her favorite food. Now, I wonder if we asked, um, you know, people tonight, hey, what's your favorite food? I wonder how many people in this auditorium would say milk. Most of us would say, well, I mean, I mean, how many of you don't even like milk? You don't like milk? Oh, lots of you. How many of you say, I love milk. It's my favorite food. Okay, all right. <laughs> So, you know, sometimes, like if you're a college student here, you'll, you'll say woo to anything. But, but I, I suspect that there's not a lot of people, honestly, that milk is their favorite food. I like milk and, and I like cold milk. I don't like it, you know, lukewarm or not. But I like milk, but it's, it's not my favorite food. I think that um, if you ask me my favorite food, it probably depends on where I am. Maybe um, what I'm hungry for. Uh, there is a really good burger in the Atlanta airport that Julie and I get every time we fly through Atlanta. Um, there's a place back in Colorado that I know the dish. It's the 4th the Street Chop House. And I know the dish that my wife is going to get at that restaurant because it's always so good. 
Um, I love a really fresh out of the oven pizza. I know the toppings that I want on it. I know the level, the amount of cheese. I even know, I can taste right now, the kind of tangy sauce that I want on that pizza. How many of you could give me an amen regarding a good, warm, hot, saucy, cheesy pizza? Uh, Let's talk steak for a few moments, okay? A really well-prepared, nicely seared, salty steak. Now, I like salty steak, you know, that's been rightly seasoned. I don't like it. If you are with me and we're having a steak and you say, I'd like it well done, I'm going to sit at another table, okay? (laughs) I mean, you, you you don't harm a steak and mistreat it like that, okay? So... I know how I want my steak prepared. And yet, Sophia, what's her favorite food? She has not yet sunk her teeth. In, she probably doesn't have teeth to sink <laughs> into a wonderfully prepared burger or a, a great slice of pizza or a steak hot off the ground. I mean, she, she just hasn't experienced it yet. And, and I suppose it would, it would not be healthy for her too. There's something about her age and stage of life that means her favorite food right now is, is milk. God in his wisdom meets us where we are with what we need. He gives us that which is timely, is right, is healthy, is appropriate. But oftentimes God begins to remove those things that we have become accustomed to, even reliant upon, because he is preparing us for the next. You can look at your life, you can look at your history, You can see that all along the way, there have been these age and stage appropriate gifts from the hand of a loving God. And then in times that that often make us uncomfortable, God removes those things that we've become accustomed and reliant upon and he places us in unfamiliar territory. When we, when we think about what it is that we're about to look at tonight, there was a group of people that, that may have been asking a question regarding something that at times they may have resisted, but certainly be, they became accustomed to, familiar with, reliant upon. We're going to ask a question tonight that maybe some of the children of Israel asked as well. And that is, why did the manna cease why did the manna that that which we have had day in and day out we've had it with a regularity that became somewhat comforting we knew what to do when to do how to do so God while I'm certainly interested in you adding more to our diet I don't know that I am quite prepared for the abrupt removal of something that I have for so long relied upon. 
Your Bibles are open right now to Joshua chapter 5. Let's begin in verse number 10. Joshua chapter 5, verse number 10. Here the Bible records the following. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. Now look at verse number 11. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land in Canaan that year. It appears from the reading of this text, it appears that the manna had actually followed them over the crossing of Jordan. There is some sense of, a, hey, we, we still have it. They, they ate then of the old corn of the land, but the next day was the last. Now that which they had relied upon is no longer available. So before we get into the cessation of manna, let's consider what God was doing with the provision of the same. Why did he start something that he wasn't going to continue? So the first thing that we would come to as we start to ask these questions, you know, why did the manna cease? Well, what was God doing? The first thing that God was doing is this. He was ministering to them. He was ministering to them. He's simply saying, okay, this is their need and this is my means of addressing the need. And God always does this for all of us. He always meets us right where we are. He's going to give us, grant us the provision that we, that we need that is equal to the same. God is coming and meeting us in places and ages and stages in, in no shortened hand fashion. Like, oh, I, I would have done that. I just, I, I just can't attain those resources. I would have provided that. I just don't have what's necessary right now. Hold on for just a little bit and I'll... He never does that. God always meets us with that which is appropriate for the need. We, we give a, get a little background to what had he done when you consider the, the passage where man is introduced, we won't look at the whole passage, but Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse number 14. And when the dew that, that lay was gone, and when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, it is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, this is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. They, they said, what is it? Well, that is the meaning, the very, the very definition of the word manna. That's where it comes up with it. That's where it gets its name. They see something that is on the ground. It's never been there before. God then gives instruction to the people as to how to gather it, how often to gather it, when not to gather it. There are pictures actually that Jesus himself uses regarding himself as the comparison to manna. He said, there was bread that your fathers did eat. It came down from heaven. But you know, eating that, they eventually died. I am the bread that's come down from heaven and the person that eats of this bread will never die. So he uses it as a spiritual picture. When we start to think about what was God doing in a physical way, not a picture way, what was he doing for his people? He's just ministering to them. 
Do you know what is reasonable for every child of God to anticipate? It's reasonable for every child of God to anticipate that God will always meet my needs when and where I have them, always. Well, you say, well, why does he do that? Because he's good, because he's caring, because he knows. There's never a time in your life when you have to wonder, am I gonna have what I need? No, 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 not from the hand of a good God. He'll always provide our needs. He's just ministering to his people. And then we start to think about, well, with what did he minister to them? Well, he ministered to them miraculously. That's pretty impressive. Like, wow, every day, here's the manna. We know it was miraculous, not just some kind of fluke of the wilderness. This is something that came every morning. Um, It came at a specific time. It started to come miraculously. It wasn't there before and then it was. And then it stopped abruptly. It was there and then it wasn't. We also know it's miraculous because, okay, this, this comes every day except for the Sabbath day. The day before, I'm supposed to gather two times as much. If I did that at other times during the week, it, it begins to, to rot and become moldy and unedible. This is a miraculous provision of God. We also find that, wow, this is, this is a sufficient provision of God. That this meets my need. This is something actually good for me to eat. This is something that the people could eat and survive on and and exist on. I mean, it's balanced. It provides all the nutrients they need, the vitamins, the sustenance they need. And there's enough. Like if you're really hungry, you can have more. If you're not so hungry, you can eat less. This is something that was miraculous. It was sufficient. It tasted good. You say, well, they, they ate it for 40 years, I know, but God wasn't giving them something that they had to, in a sense, hold their nose and swallow. What comes from the hand of God is something that is good. So manna was the means by which God was ministering to the needs of his people. And this is what he always does. He ministers in timely ways to each and every need of his people. And by the way, it'd be good for us to recognize, ultimately, what is it that we need? Okay, so Lord, I know that you, you meet my needs. Well, what is it that I need? Listen to how Jesus answered that question. John chapter six, let me read the passage. Verse number 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of heaven. When we go down to verse number 51 in the same passage, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. The manna was a picture, but Jesus is the true provision. What do I need? Well, ultimately, we can answer that question with the person of Jesus Christ. He is the answer to our need. So, question. Why did the manna stop? When you think about it, manna was the greatest extended miracle in scripture. I mean, think through this. Manna, every day, day after day, month after month, year after year, manna was the greatest ongoing extended miracle, I believe recorded in scripture. It's a miracle that lasted for 40 years. Okay, so again, we get back to the question, why did the manna stop? Manna began as a means of God ministering to his children. But manna would stop as a means of God maturing his children. Why did it stop? Well, he was 
maturing them. He's actually growing them up. Now remember, there's never a time when God doesn't provide all that we stand in need of, but God does expect us to recognize his different means of provision. So let's consider the time when Jesus was here on earth. What does Jesus do when he's physically present here on earth? Well, for his followers, he provides everything that they stand in need of. I mean, everything. Jesus is here, there's money, go buy food, and then there's the miraculous. I mean, if they needed food, what does Jesus do? He takes a little lad's lunch, he begins to break it, and 1,000, 5,000 men beside women and children are fed with a little boy's lunch. This is miraculous. What does he do? All Jesus has to do is touch the leper and the leprosy's healed. All a person has to do is but touch the hem of his garment and they are healed. He's the one who calls the dead to life. Over and over and over again, we see the miraculous provision of Jesus. The disciples are in the midst of the, 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 the storm. The water's filling the boat. They definitely have a need. To whom do they turn? Jesus. Carest thou not that we perish? All Jesus has to do now, stand, rebuke the wind, say to the sea, shh, quiet, peace, be still. And the wind ceases and there was a great calm. Whatever they need, they know the person who has the answer to the need. So Jesus, while he's here, he is the supply. He has everything that they stand in need of. But he's preparing them for something beyond his presence. Wouldn't it be great to have Jesus here? Our our obvious answer is yes. But isn't it interesting that Jesus knows that even as the disciples needed to prepare for life in his absence, he is going to grant his disciples and and then um, throughout generations, all of us, all that we stand in need of. He provides for them his presence, but then he provides for them something more as a means of maturing. In so many ways, we see that Jesus was preparing them for his departure. This is growth on their part, and growth is to be a normal part of the Christian experience. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says it this way. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So to bring about that growth, God often removes the familiar and he brings in some new opportunity, some new avenue of dependence on him. Let me ask it this way. What would you still be holding on to if God hadn't providentially removed. Sometimes it's a person, sometimes it's a relationship, sometimes it's a familiar setting or environment. You could, I suppose, go on and on. Sometimes it's a job, it's an income, it's a provision, it's a resource. And God then just almost abruptly removes something from our lives that we become very dependent on. Did the disciples want Jesus to go away? Well, that's obviously an answer that we, I think, can, can, can conclude. Well, no, they don't want him to go away. 
Lord, we, we don't want you to go. And where are you going? And, and if you're going, how can we know the way? They were comfortable in Jesus' presence. But would the disciples ever have been those that turned the world upside down in the presence of Jesus? Or was Jesus saying, I'm going to remove something from you that you've become dependent on and you're going to develop a new dependence, a new growth, a new maturity. Paul says it this way regarding the people who had become dependent on something that they're familiar with. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning in verse number 1. He said, and I brethren could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, come on now. You have been nursing on that bottle for too long. He said, I've fed you with milk. I, I, I need to feed you with meat, but I've not yet been able to. You're not able to bear it. He says, now it's time for us to, elsewhere in Hebrews, he says, it's time for us to move on to a more mature way of life. He reiterates this in Hebrews chapter 5. He says, for everyone that is useful, for everyone that, that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It may be that God has removed something in your life because you become in a sense, too accustomed to its presence, relied too heavily on its provision. So God is moving you to some, in a sense, promised land living, which is always a good thing. That brings us to our last point. What is it that God was doing? Well, the, the first thing manna did was it was a ministry to them. Even the removal of manna was a ministry to them. What was he doing? Removing manna? He was maturing them. And what was he doing? Well, quite honestly, he was moving them. He was moving them. Do you know, many times God will move us, maybe not geographically, maybe not physically, but he is moving us from one point of reliance to another new, in a sense, exciting and I don't know, maybe more fulfilling place of dependence on him. He's moving them. Joshua chapter four, verse number 19. Joshua four nineteen. the Bible says, and the people came up out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. After 40 years of wandering, they came up out of Jordan. It's an exciting story by its own right when the people passed over Jordan into the land of promise. God was physically moving his people and he was using the removal of manna as part of this whole process. He was about to establish what we have referred to today as new norms, a new norm. Do you know, we, we have universally experienced something that I think at least in our point of reference, we've never experienced before. We still talk about it and we know about pre-COVID, COVID and post-COVID. What's happened post-COVID? 
Well, in many ways, there are new norms that we've established. There are new things that this is the way it's done now. That was the way it was done then. We experience something similar, although not health related. And it's connected to what we refer to as 9-11. There's not a time now that you pass through an airport that you don't go through a series of different checkpoints. A, a whole litany of different things that are, that are put in place with an attempt to more adequately secure the safety of travelers. The effectiveness of that is, is something that you can debate, but the reality of that is something that we're all aware of. It is a new norm. And do you know what God was about to do with his people? He's establishing a new norm, something that they hadn't experienced before. So let's think about a few of the differences that they were about to experience. In the wilderness, they saw some incredible miracles. We don't have opportunity to do this in a setting like this tonight, but let me ask it this way. How many of you have ever experienced what you have referred to in the past as a miracle of God? And you're not using the expression lightly. You're saying, listen, all things being equal, I believe it was a miracle of God. How many of you have some experience that you'd say, I don't know, I think it was miraculous. How many of you have something like that? Lots of people. What that means is in this room, there are a lot of stories of the miraculous hand of God. The people of Israel had a lot of those stories. For those who would be born in the land of promise, they're going to hear their dads and their moms, this whole new generation that saw God do some things. I mean, they heard about, some of them may have been a part of it if they were a young person, a child, a teenager. Some of them were born in the wilderness. They, they weren't part of this, but, but some of them that, that, that actually came out of Egypt went into the land of promise, the children. We remember when the, the literal sea parted. I've never seen anything like it before. I know Jordan kind of rolled back on itself, but the sea literally parted and we walked over the sea on dry ground. Okay, so they're telling these stories of miracles. They're telling about the time when, when they're thirsty and they need water and they're just a few days out of Egypt and, and they need some, some refreshment and, and the, there's a, a, a pool of water and someone jumps in it and, and because oh the whole crowd surges forward but he comes up and he says, oh, it's Mara, it's bitter. And, and then Moses prays and God showed him a tree and he, he drug this tree over and he threw it in the water and, and the, the, the bitter water actually became sweet. It's another picture that God uses where the cross of Calvary makes the bitterness of our lives and of sin sweet through, through the cross, through the tree. They, they would tell stories of, oh, there's another time when we needed water and um, God told Moses to smite this rock. And so Moses hit this rock and water starts gushing out. It was miraculous. There was another time, oh, this got Moses in trouble. We needed water. God said, just speak to the rock, but Moses hit it, but we still got water anyways. Uh, li listen, then there was a time. Now, this is for people born in the promised land. They'd never experienced this. We, we needed food and, and we were lamenting. In fact, I, I remember my dad said, my dad, he died in the wilderness. But my dad said, he said, oh, if we only had the flesh pots that were back in Egypt. If we only had a little, little something to eat. And oh, we, we just desire some food. We need something. And, 
And did you bring us out in the wilderness to kill us? And, and God provided not only food. I mean, he brought in this whole flock of birds and we feasted on it. But he gave us manna. And the kids that are listening to the stories that are unfolding, manna, that, dad, that means what is it? That's exactly what we were saying. God provided this and, and it was just this, what is it? We didn't know, but it, it had this, it was a little wafer. We prepared it different ways and, and it tasted kind of like, um, uh, kind of like, well, have you ever had a Krispy Kreme donut? You know, and so he's explaining kind of how it tasted and, and um, like, wow, wow. So you had manna and, and, and God gave it to you every day. And, and then on, on the Sabbath, you know, the day before the Sabbath, you collected enough for, yeah, 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 that's the whole story. Think about all the miracles that took place in the wilderness. Do you know if you, if you wanted to compare miracles, I know God parted the Jordan, I know. And I also know that the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, I know. But you move beyond that and, hmm. The land of promise is supposed to be in, in the pictures that God's presenting, the promised land. This is the picture of victorious Christian living. And you know, there were far more miracles done in the wilderness wandering that, that does demonstrate what we say would be Christianity, although these, these are what we might even refer to as carnal Christians. More miracles done in the wilderness than we see in the regular life of promised land living? You say, well, why is that? I think it's because God meets us where we are with what we need when we need it. You know, it's quite possible that you needed the miracle at a time of, I don't know, a time of, of that God recognized this is what you need when you need it. And maybe even times of immaturity where God says, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this on your behalf because I know what you need and I know when you need it. I mentioned this this morning in our Bible study group. There is... Um, there, there is a lady whose name is Isabel Kuhn. She has written a couple different books. Um, one is Green Leaf in Drought, and it's a wonderful missionary story. And then she wrote another book. I forgot the name of it this morning. And Julie, what's the name of the other book that she wrote? By Searching. She didn't say it. I remembered it. Okay. And um, so By Searching is the other one. If you ever read By Searching by Isabel Kuhn, you're going to find that God met her in her immaturity. He did things for her in ways he answered requests. It's almost like the putting out of the fleece. Like, I know God, you told me, but I, I need some additional help. So I'm, I'm going to put out a fleece and I'm going I'm to put you to the test. And, and when she starts to write, she says, oh, I see how God did this and he did this and he did this. And while there may be some aspect of the miraculous to it, she says it really was God meeting me in my immaturity. Have you ever wondered why God seems to, I don't know, close down some things? God, you used to do this for me. Why don't you do that now? You used to provide this this way. And Lord, I remember the time when, when I had this financial need and you just met it this way and 
And it might be, I, I don't know, and I'm not t- trying to pretend all that I would presume to know all the circumstances that, that would be represented here, but isn't it possible that at times God is saying, I'm going to put you in a place where now you're going to have to till the field. Uh, now you're going to have to learn how to, to shepherd sheep. Uh, now you're going to have to know how to be a, a, a vine dresser. Now you're going to have to actually learn how to make shoes. Now you're going to have to learn how to weave fabric. Now you're going to have to learn to, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And in the, 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 the wilderness wandering, they didn't have to know any of that. But now they get into the promised land. Hey, victorious Christian living. Oh, miracle after miracle. And sometimes it is just every day trusting God and him meeting you where you are with exactly what you need. God often moves us from the familiar where he may have done far more for us to the unfamiliar where he expects us to, by his grace and by his power, to engage in something we may have never needed to do before. It's been the experience of my own life. I finished college and I was off to be a college rep for Pensacola Christian College. I I can remember when I started, there was such, um, I'm not very good at this and I don't think I can do this. And the person that actually helped train me, a guy that, that a lot of people in here would know, Reggie Sellers, just worked me over. And when I hit the road, man, I was, I was so overwhelmed. But God met me where I was, gave me what I needed. And, and a couple of years later, I was actually ready to go on to the next thing. And then Campus Church contacted me and, and I had the privilege to serve in youth ministry. When I started serving in youth ministry, I can remember early on, I mean early on, sitting in my little office, I had this little tiny office, I remember sitting in my office with my, my head in my hands saying, Lord, what, what did I get myself into? I had, I had two messages that I preached as I traveled as a college rep. And right away, as soon as I became youth pastor, I preached both of those messages. And then I was done. I didn't have anything else. I'm going to go take another youth ministry and preach two messages and another and preach. That was all there was. And I was overwhelmed. And then God, after 15 years of youth ministry, God began to do something in our hearts and he moved us into senior pastor ministry, sent us to Colorado. We, we showed up in Colorado just, just to see the church. And I said to Julie, I said, what in the world are we doing in Colorado? We're not moving to Colorado. And um, yippee-i-a-i-o, we moved to Colorado, you know. And, and there God had us for the next 15 years. And you know, right before God moved us, I, I remember when God moved us to Colorado, literally, it took me a couple days before I would even park in a parking spot that they said, hey, here's your parking spot. I, the, one, of the, one of the staff members said, hey, pastor, you know, that's for you. And I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I should even park there. What am I doing? These people know I only have two messages. You know, that will... I'd sit in my office there and honestly, I'd look at files. Were, I'd pull files out. I'm like, I, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. 
And, and about year 14, year 15, I started to pray. I put it on my prayer list that I started to pray about what the Lord was going to do next. And I thought it was going to be some next in Colorado at our church. Like, okay, you're, we're going to start a new ministry. Lord, show me, show me what's next. And I really thought, okay, that, that it's going to be some exciting new. And, and then he said, no, I'm, I'm moving you in a, an entirely different place. Oh, Lord, that's, that's not what I had in mind. And he said, no, that's what I had in mind. And then, and then he sent me to campus church. And Julie and I are here uh, on many occasions still. Lord, I don't, I don't know how to do what I'm supposed to do and how to do that and what to say and when to say and why should I? And oh boy, the questions and all of those that brings a new level of dependence on him. God, God may be shutting down your supply of manna, but there is something good behind the fact that he may have removed something familiar because he is replacing it with some new opportunity for growth. God has today loaded us with spiritual blessings. Let's take possession of the same and put them to use. And remember, God is always up to something good, even when he removes something we become accustomed to. What is he doing? He's probably maturing us and moving us to a way of living that provides a new level of dependence on him.